Well, let's pray and we'll turn in God's word to the book of Acts again this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are gathered here because of you. We have many distractions and many difficulties, lots of desires and dreams. And Lord, we need those things to submit to who you are and what it is that you have for us. We long for you to be glorified and to see you do good through Jesus Christ in in our lives and in the lives of others. We pray for your guidance and openness and specific application from the truth of your word to our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, we catch up with Paul working to complete his third missionary journey. Even as Paul's Travel logs show his intent to now make his way back to Jerusalem. The emphasis remains on people as the purpose for all of these efforts. It's not just missionary work that focuses on people. Care for people is a top priority of all of Christ's servants. All Christian ministry is about people. Ministry is people. People are the ministry. Truth and tasks are well and good, but they lose their purpose without a heart for the people involved. People submitting to and growing in Christ is the purpose of ministry. Ministry's purpose is people. Through all the busy activity and movement of ministry and the planning and strategy, we must not lose sight of people. Though we rightly emphasize word-based preaching and word-based teaching and word-based counseling one another from God's word, we must not forget that Christ impacts individual hearts with his truth, and that is our purpose. The salvation and development of people is the heartbeat of the ministry. Let's see how Paul's missionary work in Acts 20 reminds us of this truth. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. This is after the uproar in Ephesus that had nearly turned to a riot. Remember, they were rioting in the, uh, in the theater. They had all come to the massive outdoor theater, and they were saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And now after that uproar, Paul encourages them, says farewell, and departs for Macedonia. Verse 2, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the agents, Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, 
And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. In Paul's missionary travels around the Aegean and back again, he goes this way and and then back, we will observe four ways we're reminded that people are at the center of our ministry for Christ. First of all, in Christian ministry, plans must be flexible and people must be focal. In ministry, we must focus on people and be flexible with our plans. As we said, even as Paul's travelogues show his intent to make his way all the way back to Jerusalem, a plan that he, he made clear that he wanted to go to Jerusalem back in verse uh, 21 of chapter 19, even so, the emphasis remains on the people as the purpose for all of these journeys. So we observe Paul encouraging the believers in Ephesus before departing for Macedonia. And wherever he may have stopped in Macedonia, here's the map for you just to see um, up in that left corner is Macedonia. And I forgot our cute little clicker that you can zoom in on. Up in that left corner, there there are cities like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Those are some of the cities in Macedonia where He would have gone and he spent time with the people in order to give them much encouragement, the text says. That verb, parakaleo, is repeated here, and it's used again at verse 12 where where it's translated as comfort. It means to encourage, to exhort, to comfort, to urge, to come alongside people. Paul is encouraging the believers He's, and, and encouragement strengthens people. Think about that for one second. Why do we encourage? Because encouragement strengthens people from within. Encouragement is like coming alongside someone to give medicine when they are sick. It's like giving nourishment when people are weak. It's like giving reinforcement when they falter. It's to give nutrients to fortify their roots and to help them withstand life's storms. It is to increase their maturity so that they too can be effective in witness and in ministry to the body of Christ. That's encouragement. Paul makes it his aim to so strengthen the believers where he has previously proclaimed Christ. And from the pattern we see in Paul's life, we would primarily, Paul would primarily be using... I'm sorry, I wrote this as a question. What would Paul primarily be using in order to accomplish this encouragement for strengthening them? What's Paul's primary tool that he uses? What would we expect from him? Teaching the life-giving word of God. That's what Paul would use. Paul would use the word to encourage them with a clear emphasis on the gospel of God in Jesus Christ, and then he would take the word of God and he would apply it to the specific situations of their lives as he interacts with them. That's counseling with the word of God. We see this is true from the way that Paul writes letters to the believers. Paul applies the word of God to the situations of their lives. He bases, he grounds it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what gives us encouragement. So as Paul comes to spend a little time in Greece, Greece is that area that was labeled on the map south of Macedonia, Achaia, that's, it's also called Greece. Probably most of, of that time was spent wintering in Corinth, 
What would we expect Paul to be doing there? Proclaiming the gospel and strengthening the brothers. When he isn't teaching and counseling people in person, he's writing letters to other churches. During this time, we believe Paul wrote the letter to the Romans while he was in Corinth. But it is also undeniable that the greatest source of struggle and trial in ministry is also people. While at times this comes unintentionally by the simple fact of our sins spilling on one another, you know what I'm talking about? I've used that term with you before. Be patient with me as I'm splashing you. My sanctification splashes out on you. Sometimes it's unintentional, but there will be times when there is a deliberate attempt to derail, to discourage, to sabotage us. And often such is motivated by jealousy, which seems so ironic to you as Christ is humbling you because you think to yourself, there's nothing to be jealous of. (laughs) Christ has rescued me and made me his own. And I'm trying to do my best to get out of the way so he can use me. Just so, in Paul's case in Corinth, the plot against him by the Jews means it's not safe to get on a ship leaving from Greece directly to Syria because the small confines of a ship would make it easy for the perpetrators to carry out his murder. Paul trapped on a ship. He'll have to go around and catch another ship from somewhere in Asia Minor. So Paul's going to make his way back around the Aegean Sea to Asia Minor where he will travel finally back over toward Syria and Palestine. Even though some people seek his life, Paul is still patient with people. Paul still prioritizes people. Why? Because he remembers Christ's patience with him. This is the text Ryan read earlier, 1 Timothy chapter. 1 verses 15 and 16, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Do you not know that God's patience is to lead you to repentance? I'm sure that the Apostle Paul can feel just like you sometimes. People drive you batty. In families, don't we drive each other crazy sometimes? If they, if, if, they, if they wouldn't all just be exactly like me, that would solve our problems. If everybody thought like me, but then you realize, wait a second, I'm the problem. I'm a people too. The best book that I have on marriage is called When Sinners Say I Do. Two sinners joining together in holy matrimony. Sinners making a commitment to put Christ first in their lives together. Missionary work especially helps us see plainly that 
plans and strategies, programs and structures all take a backseat to people. Paul's missionary work and travels display a necessary flexibility and a focus on people. So whatever our ministry endeavors, we must remain patient and intentional with people because ministry is about God being glorified in people's hearts and God making progress in people's lives. So we are patient with people, but we do not cease to persuade the lost to submit to Jesus Christ and to encourage the believers that they will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that they will stand fast in their faith under trial, under persecution, and we do not cease to encourage the believers to support one another in this journey. As we've seen, plans must be flexible and people must be focal. Continuing on then, we see that even Paul's strategies in the verses that we read Paul's strategies for success also revolve around people. Healthy strategies for ministry success are designed around people and depend on people. I'm arguing here that these seven companions mentioned in the text demonstrate how Paul's strategies for ministry are both designed around people and depend on people. Just so, there are two important things to know about Paul's seven companions. First of all, They're representing their churches in taking financial gifts for the church in Jerusalem to meet the needs of the poor there in Jerusalem. And secondly, Paul is always planning for his eventual departure. So instead of building a system in which everybody depends on him and looks to him, Paul raises up and trains believers to be missionaries and leaders in their communities and out from their communities. Instead of making everything revolve around him and depend on him, no, Paul is always planning for people to do it without him and to do it better than him. Although it isn't stated directly in our text, referring again to both of these things, we know more about this program of gifts for the poor in in Jerusalem from the letters Paul wrote during this season. This collection for the saints is described in his letter to the Corinthians that he had written from Ephesus that we talked about last last time in Acts. And it's mentioned in his letter to the Romans as being for the poor saints in Jerusalem. So these seven are representatives of their respective churches who are contributing to the needs in Jerusalem. These seven who can travel along with Paul and ensure the money's arrival and that it's used for its intent. And then secondly, several if not most of these men have a longer standing ministry relationship with Paul as well. Sorry, when I get loud, I get scary. (laughs) So most of these people travel with Paul regularly. It's not just for this one time. It reminds us that Paul prepares other people for ministry in the future, or he's, he's preparing people to reach people where he cannot. You'll hear me say to you sometimes, you're doing in the community what I cannot. You're doing ministry that I cannot do. I don't have the relationships with lost people that some of you have. And Paul's preparing people to remain in ministry where he cannot. Paul will keep going, and he will say, Timothy, you stay here. Tychicus, you stay here. 
Trophimus, go do that. And again, he will, these men will carry on when Paul is gone. We know nothing else of Sopater other than that he is from Berea and he's Pyrrhus' son. We know nothing more of Secundus, the Thessalonian, but his fellow Aristarchus had been traveling with Paul and, and he just got caught up in that riot in Ephesus along with Gaius, who had also traveled with them previously from Macedonia. And if this is the same Gaius, he's, the text tells us he's actually from Derby back in Galatia, as is Timothy. Timothy is from the region of Galatia, whom we know to be from Lystra. Timothy is one in whom Paul invests a great deal of intentional discipleship. From Asia, the region of Ephesus, come Tychicus and Trophimus, Trophimus, of whom will get pulled into false controversy in Jerusalem when the Jews accuse Paul of bringing him a Gentile into the temple, chapter 21, verse 9, and he's mentioned in a much later letter to Timothy. Similarly, Tychicus is, is name-dropped numerous times as someone who safely conveys letters to churches from Paul which also means he can be trusted to personally convey even more of the spirit and the intent of the letter and to take word back to Paul from the church that the letter was sent to. These are trusted men in whom Paul is investing a great deal of energy, just like the model that Jesus gave us. And the Dr. Luke is, is obliquely referenced in here as well since he begins to say we again when the the team passes through Philippi on the return journey, and Luke joins them. How influential does it appear that the Apostle Paul is in the faith and development of Dr. Luke? Who wrote Luke and Acts? Traveling with Paul, helping Paul in a way that he can help Paul and being discipled by Paul. So not only do these men represent Paul's strategy for the gifts to Jerusalem, but they also represent Paul's intentional strategy to expand ministry beyond himself and to replace himself and to prepare future generations of the church. The same should be said of us, that our strategies demonstrate a healthy desire to replicate faithful followers of Jesus, and that all our strategies are designed with concern and care for people in mind, and with a, a healthy realization that carrying them out will depend on those people. So even as you make strategies and plans, one of the most helpful things that my mentors have taught me is that character matters more than all other things. If you will not be humble and stay faithful to Jesus Christ, everything else crumbles. And so the first thing that you pass on to other generations of believers is first humility in Christ Jesus. Everything rises and falls on your dependency on the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're interested in, in ministry strategy and, and have never read this book on the subject, I encourage you to read this one. It's by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. If you're interested in ministry strategy, the, the, the metaphor is that 
growth in people is the vine. All else is trellis. So sometimes we get rid of trellis because it's, we have all these structures and strategies and none of our people want to do them. Bye. And then we have people who are growing and being used of God and, and we need to try to build some structure and strategy for that. That's what God is doing among us. So we try to stay focused on people. I am so proud of Jason and Rob that they met a man in, from India at a conference, and by God's leading, they've just continued to serve these men all the way in India whom they would not know if it were not for God just dropping an opportunity in their laps. And them saying, I don't know who I am. Who am I? But Christ dropped an opportunity in their laps to serve other people. Let's shift our attention back to the travel details of, of Paul and his companions, some of whom make their way to Troas ahead while Paul and Luke come after, after the Passover in Philippi, the days of unleavened bread, your text calls it. So it is in Troas where they stay for seven days. And on the final day of their brief stay, we get a glimpse into one of the more unique episodes in Paul's ministry. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, that is the Lord's Day, as it is celebrated by the Christians now, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, this is in Troas, intending to depart on the next day. And so, because he intended to depart, he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said to the people around, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted, encouraged. What should we take away from this? The moral of the story is that long-winded preaching can be deadly. Unless you're prepared to raise people from the dead, don't preach past midnight. I actually have a preaching book by one of these same two guys, and the name of it is called Saving Eutychus. <laughs> and they argue for a lot of things, most importantly, expository preaching, but they even argue that most of us are not John MacArthur and we shouldn't all preach an hour. Because of the episode having a happy ending, the jokes write themselves. The humor isn't lost on us, and I'm sure it wasn't lost on Luke and Paul's other companions. I imagine this being one of the favorite stories to relate to others, and one that garnered a lot of laughs and sideways glances at Paul when the crew reminisced about their journeys together. Can you see, see it? They're sitting around telling the stories and looking over at Paul. Do you remember this one? 
I love it. I can just I can just picture it. But in the context of our discussion, I think there's a helpful point to be made from Paul preaching long and young Eutychus falling to his death only to be restored to life. Preaching Christ is indeed hollow. Would it would would be hollow indeed if our heart isn't for the individuals who hear. Paul prolongs his preaching and his fellowship in Troas all night because he cares for them. And he has only one day left. It was the first day of the week. It's, it's Sunday, and Paul plans to depart on Monday. So, so he preaches late precisely because he cares so much for them, and he has only one last day there. Paul could have been selfishly inclined to shut it down earlier because of a big day of travel coming up the next day. But instead, uh, I picture them asking Paul questions and Paul pursuing the answers that are found in, in Jesus Christ and in, in God's word. They ask questions and Paul just keeps going. Now, in an upper room at night, probably around April, around the Mediterranean, it shouldn't have been too hot. But there were undoubtedly a lot of bodies packed in. Plus, the text says that there were many oil lamps in this other room, so it's probably getting stuffy. So Eutychus, a lad, the text says, he's probably between the ages of like 8 and 14, he would have found a window to be a good seat for both seeing Paul and to catch a breeze. But he also caught sleepiness. But since Paul prolonged his message, his logos, the the word, the speech, past midnight, Eutychus, whose name means lucky or fortunate, was apparently not so lucky. Eutychus not only fell asleep, but he fell out the window. And the result of the fall from the third story window, which actually to us is probably the second story, the way we describe first and second story versus other cultures, the way he fell out must have been awkward because he he probably fell on his neck and he died. He was taken up dead, not as dead, taken up dead. Do you think Dr. Luke knows the difference? Yep, he was dead. Luke would have understood what that means. So Paul's words to them would seem little comfort at first, bending over and taking him up in his arms saying, don't worry for his life is in him. Who does that remind you of? Does that remind you of something that Jesus said when he raised Jairus' daughter? But because the result is that the youth was taken away alive, they end up being greatly comforted, parakaleo. In fact, even though Eutychus' mishap undoubtedly brought the sermon to a close, Paul continued to eat and talk with these dear ones in Troas until daybreak. Who knows what God did with Eutychus? Who knows what God will do with Luke and Ty? Who knows what God will do with Silas and Hawkins? Who knows what God will do with Alicia and Kennedy? We invest our hearts in these people because Christ is changing them. I imagine my parents dealing with a rambunctious little JJ and going, I don't know what God is going to do with this child, but I hope he hurries up. (laughs) It's not enough to love the truth and to want to spread the truth. 
We do so precisely because we care about those who hear. Our desire is that they should be changed by Christ and comfort and, and, and conform to Christ for their own good and God's glory. So too, we're not just concerned for people generally, like people is an idea. No, we're concerned for the people individually. Eutychus. He's not less important than the seven men, delegates traveling with Paul. The young Eutychus matters. Each, each individual Paul interacts with matters. It's so good for me to be reminded of this, and I need to confess sin in my heart and life when I get too busy to love people. Do you remember the privilege you have when God's placed you in a family or, or your coworkers, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, if it were only not for these people, and you're reminded this is why God placed me here, to serve these people. When you're exhausted, moms, your privilege is to serve these little people so that they'll see Christ in you. And now finally, as Paul and company take their leave of Troas, there are various travel notes and, and, and a mention of an interesting decision to bypass Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verses 13 to 16, very briefly. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios, the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost being 50 days after Passover. Now here's the map again to give you your bearings in the Aegean Sea with the places referenced back on the right side of the Aegean Sea, traveling down past Ephesus toward Miletus, several of those places mentioned there. Now, to track along with what we've been saying, this section shows us that when we're making decisions, when we're, we're choosing what to pursue, we're choosing what things to bypass, we maintain caring concern for the people who are involved. In the way that we handle all of these things, we maintain a caring concern for the people involved. Granted, such can be challenging, even awkward, but people are the ministry. So here, even, even not going to Ephesus is because Paul knows and he loves the people there. And he knows that if he goes to Ephesus, it will delay him in his travel too long. And he won't just skip the beloved Ephesian church entirely, but we'll see that Paul will instead call the elders to him at Miletus. And when they come, his love for them and the Ephesians is abundantly clear as he makes uh, impassioned conversation with them, which Luke must, Luke must find pretty important because he includes it in great detail. So even though Paul must, in this case, hasten to Jerusalem for Pentecost, he does not ignore the fact that there are, there are others impacted who bear the cost of the decisions that he is making. 
we too make aim to be considerate and intentional, knowing there are people who bear a cost for the decisions that we make. In different seasons in ministry, this is extremely personal to me. Even when we're doing what we sincerely believe is right and for the greatest health of the church, the personal cost to people is perhaps the consequence that hits home the most and hurts us the most. Because to us, like Paul, people are the ministry. Christ came to restore individual people to God through saving faith in him. His church, Christ's bride, is a collection of individual people who are being made more like Christ and who are actively serving him as members of his body. So people are the means of the ministry and people are the ministry. A commitment to Christ's work in people should be central to our word-based gospel ministry. The commitment of, of ministry is to see people who are committed to the Lord. Our commitment to Christ means we are committed to people. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ came to save sinners. In our individual hearts this morning, we stand before you humbled. We kneel before you humbled. You have been so good to reveal yourself to us in your holiness, in your justice. You have been so good to reveal to us the truth of our sin. You have been so good to reveal to us that, that you made a way for restoration through Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life and he became the perfect spotless lamb to pay the penalty for our sin, and that you raised him again from the dead and exalted him to the seat of majesty on high, you have revealed to us that our Jesus is coming again to collect his own, and we are so privileged to be in you and to be used by you. Father, we confess from the example of, of Paul's ministry and Christ's own ministry that we often get so self-focused, we forget that people are the reason we do all of these things. Just as our Lord and Savior came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, many people, individuals who would put their faith in him. Help us to confess our sin of selfishness, and God, give us strength and patience and love for people. In Christ's name, amen. Christ came to save people, and not just people generally, but you individually can respond to God by repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you. And then you will be joined to his people. These quirky, unique band of brothers and sisters placed in Christ by God himself. What a privilege it is to belong to Jesus. I do want to encourage you believers this week to springboard off of this and think about Christ's model. Think about the one another's of the New Testament. 
and how that applies to what we were talking about this morning. Let's close in prayer as we go from this place. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you have a perfect plan and we thank you that you have made us part of it. Thank you for your heart for the people whom you have created. Help us to have the same heart of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And we desire to give you all the glory for it, both now and forever. Amen.